and welcome to Social Work Sorted, the podcast. I'm Vicky Shevlin. I host this podcast and I lead Social Work Sorted, which is an online platform for newly qualified social workers. I create resources to help you in practice, focusing on skills underpinned by social work theory and research. I provide training, which is CPD accredited for organisations and local authorities, and I have a membership for students and newly qualified social workers. It's called The Collective, and if you want to be a part of it and find out more, all the information is in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I wanted to talk to you about assessments. I talk about assessments a lot, and that's because I... I suppose from my practice as both a social worker and a child protection conference chair, I think about the child and family assessment as something which is really significant in the journey or the introduction of a journey between a child and a social worker. And over the years, I've completed many assessments, some that I'm proud of, some that I am not very proud of. And as a conference chair, I was responsible for oversight over a number of different assessments. And I saw lots of things that were good qualities and that were strengths in child and family assessments. But I also saw where things went wrong or where there were gaps. And through all of that, I decided to put something together to support newly qualified social workers when they were undertaking child and family assessments because when I started out I felt like nobody really showed me what to do. The only way that I knew how to complete an assessment and write one up is by reading ones that had been completed by other people. I didn't have a performer, I didn't have anything that really supported me along the journey and that is why I created Introduction to Assessment which is a guide, a step-by-step guide through a child and family assessment. It was brought out initially as an ebook, and it's recently been upgraded to a course so there is an audio guide on there, there is video support leading you through analysis And I wanted to talk through how I actually use this as a guide to support you. For those of you who have it, this will just be an additional help or an extra. And those of you who don't, this will really just show you how helpful and supportive it can be for you. And even as a standalone episode for you, if you're completing a child and family assessment, this will offer some value to you, particularly if you're not sure where to start. I want to share or be really specific that it's called introduction to assessment because assessments are holistic, they are ongoing and whilst yes I've created something that I'm calling a step-by-step guide, assessments are not always a tick box. This has been created because I know so many new social workers struggle with where to start and without having prompts or guidance you just feel as I felt completely lost spending lots of time staring at a screen, going into home visits and not having any kind of structure to the questions that I was asking or the direct work that I was doing. So I would leave home visits feeling really unclear on how I would translate whatever just happened into a written assessment document. And what that meant was when it came to writing up, it was a lot of fluff. I wasn't really saying anything that mattered. I was writing how I thought I was supposed to write but nothing was significant to that child or family. And then when it came to an analysis, I didn't really know what to do because I hadn't had any sort of guidance around that. And again, 
I wasn't really saying things that mattered. I was rehashing information and, and that wasn't analysis at all. And this is really for those of you who are feeling that way as well. I'm going to talk through how I would look at a child's health in terms of their developmental needs. If you are listening and you're familiar with child and family assessments, Working Together to Safeguard Children 2018 is a statutory guidance that connects social workers to a child and family assessment. And within that statutory guidance, it talks about the parameters of a good assessment. And it advises that we use something called the assessment framework. Now, the assessment framework comes from something called the Common Assessment Framework, and it was actually developed in the year 2000. And I think it's really important for you to bear that in mind. Although it is the framework that we are required to use as per statutory guidance, it is still dated. And I don't want us to ignore that because it matters when we are talking to children and families and it matters because some of the words and the phrases that are used in the Common Assessment Framework can be deemed not relevant anymore. The Common Assessment Framework hasn't necessarily caught up with the research. I'm thinking particularly with the research around contextual and safeguarding, which is developed by Professor Colleen Fermin. And I'll leave all the details of where you can go and look at all that amazing work in the show notes as well. So that is just something to be mindful of. I won't just sit here and say, yes, this is a step-by-step. It's not uncomplicated. This is exactly how you do it because so much of social work is complicated. But if we are thinking about the common assessment framework and working with a child in a family where we want to look at that child's developmental needs. The first domain, so the first step on that common assessment framework is looking at a child's health. And what I would do as a newly qualified social worker in a rush and not having much guidance is under the category of health, I would maybe write something like, This child is registered with a GP, registered with a dentist. There are no health concerns and I would move on. And I know I did that because I was in a rush. And I know I did that because I was being risk averse and I was looking for where the risk was. But for that child, it didn't give them anything to reflect on in their future when it came to thinking about their health. It wasn't holistic. It wasn't, I suppose it didn't, give or support any information about that child's needs or contribute to me understanding their developmental needs and part of it was laziness I won't lie and part of it was just being a bit lost like I said and not knowing what to think about as I developed in my career as I got more support as I did more training and as I became somebody who supported students and newly qualified social workers do the same I obviously moved on from using that very simplistic description within my assessments. And so if you are looking at health within the context of a child and family assessment, I think it's really important to start with definitions. So actually, what does healthy look like for that child and family? So what does the word healthy or health mean to them when you sit down and talk to them about it? What does that family, maybe parents, maybe the child, what do they think a person needs to be healthy? Do we have a common understanding of the word health before we go on to even talk about it? And is health important to that child and family? And if so, why? And if not, 
Why not? Because sometimes we believe that people should prioritise the things that we think are important or that we deem are important. But in the context of that family's lived experience, they might have other things that they are prioritising at the moment. It's about us understanding. Obviously, when you are looking at a child's health as one of their developmental needs, you will have information from health professionals that will contribute to your assessment and your analysis. And your challenge as a social worker is moving beyond numbers and statistics to ensure that those health assessments are holistic. So we might have information about a child's height and weight. We might have information and dates about the last time that they attended hospital or doctor's appointments and dentist appointments. And I'm not saying we shouldn't include those things in assessments. Obviously, we need to have that information, but you need to move beyond that to add context. For example, health data can be interpreted in different ways. There can be racial bias included in children's health data. So data around BMI, if you are looking at that for a young person, health data around centiles, so in children's heights and weights, they are all based on some ideas around what is normal and normative is different for different people and racial bias quite often comes into that. So again, it's your job as a social worker to be unpicking this. And then it's about thinking about, well, health isn't just one thing. Health can be our physical health or health can be our mental or our emotional health. So when we're thinking about the physical health of a child, what do sleeping patterns look like? How often do we ask about sleep? Because it is so important as a basic need. And I know for me as a new social worker, I very rarely spoke to parents and children about sleep. Maybe I was talking them to about maybe I was talking to them about it, sorry, if they were very young babies. But what about when it came into toddler stages? At any age, sleep is so important. So we need to be asking about it. What happens on the nights when sleep isn't so good? Is there a difference? Is there a change? Asking about how often a child is going to the toilet. Our gut has an incredible amount of nerve receptors and our gut is often an indicator or an answer to questions. And I don't know how often as a new social worker, I asked whether a child was going to the toilet and whether they were going to the toilet to have a poo. And these are questions that might seem really simple, but they can often indicate something to us, which is feeding in to a bigger picture of their lived experience. Thinking about how often the child gets outside and not just framing that in a way that blames and shames parents if they are letting their child watch a screen or if that child isn't getting much time outside. Thinking about, again, context, the challenges that connect to families living in poverty and their access to outdoor space, housing, living conditions, all those things contribute. It doesn't mean that we don't then include the information about how often a child gets outside, but it means that we place it into context for that family. And again, thinking about a child's nutrition and their water intake. We have to connect the data on poverty and nutrition, absolutely. But it's about us understanding, again, 
what is that child's lived experience like? And you might do a day in the life with them and they might tell you about the meals that they have. Are they telling you how much they drink? Are they telling you about whether they have water or not? All these things might seem very simple and if you're doing them already, then that's amazing. But these are questions that I didn't always think about when I was trying to assess what was happening for a child. Again, when we're thinking about a child's mental health or their emotional health, however you want to phrase that, how often does that child have fun? And what does fun look like for them? Play is so important for children and for adults. It's massively important to our development. Do you know what that child does to have fun? And how many variations are there to the fun that they have? When was the last time that they laughed? This is a really important question. And again, something I didn't always ask when I was a newly qualified social worker. But what makes them laugh? And when was the last time that they laughed? And if a parent or a carer can't remember or can't tune in to the last time that child laughed, again, it's not that we immediately jump to blaming and shaming them, but it might just trigger a thought for them as well. Maybe it encourages them to be slightly more attuned to what is happening for their child. And also asking that parent, when did they last laugh? This might seem really oversimplified, but often these questions are where you might learn the most about somebody without it feeling invasive or blaming or judgmental. Again, thinking about a child's emotional health or their mental health, who do they spend the most time with? Who do they talk to when they feel low? And what is the easiest way that they can communicate? So it might not always be with words, it might be through play, it might be through music, it might be through pictures, it might just be through how they position themselves and their body language. Those are just some of the reflective questions that are included in the assessment guide under the domain of health when we're looking at a child's developmental needs. But within Introduction to Assessment, there is a page for each domain of that common assessment framework. Again, because you have to include it in terms of the statutory guidance, but there are ways for you to move beyond what I call that surface level explanation, no health concerns, no concerns with emotional behavioural development, some concerns with this. There are ways for you to move beyond that style of writing assessments. And my aim and my passion with introduction to assessments with this guide is to give you the means to do that, to give you questions that you can use that can either prompt you when you are out completing that assessment and completing direct work or prompt you when you are sat writing up the assessment. So you're not wasting time or staring at a blank screen, wondering how you can formulate things to make the assessment detailed and descriptive, but also analytical. Because when you have an assessment that is analytical, that includes information that gives you a true picture or the closest picture of what is happening for a child and a family, it means you can better inform the next steps. So if you then going on to formulate a plan or a way of working with and supporting a family, it is going to be much more detailed. It's going to be much more accurate to what that child and family needs. And it means hopefully that we are not putting children and families through processes for the sake of it, we are actually trying to, I'm going to say support, but I don't like the word support because it quite often means nothing, but we are trying to aid them really in what they need help with the most. 
So many social workers already have this guide. Some bought it last year when it was first released and they are still using it on a daily basis. It is currently set out as a course format. So once you purchase it, you access it immediately. You can click through really easily to the section that you need help with the most. And so it's something you can have up in front of you on your computer so you can click into it, reference it when you need. You don't have to go through it step by step to access the next stage, if that makes sense. So if you completing an assessment today and you are not sure what to do when it comes to thinking around a child's emotional behavioral development, you log in through the website, access the course, you click through straight away to emotional behavioral development, and you will get something similar to what I've just described. There will be a summary. There will be things that you can consider. There will be example reflective questions. You can then listen to that. So if you are on your way to a home visit and you want some prompts, you can listen to it in terms of the audio guide. And then you also have videos to support you specifically around the analysis of strengths, risk factors. It is something, like I said, that I'm so passionate about, I'm so proud of, and I know it is helping so many social workers as we speak. If you are interested in knowing more about the guide, then you can click the link in the show notes, which will give you more information. If you have any questions about this, email me, vicky at socialworksorted. If you're interested in trialing this for your ASYE cohort or a student cohort, again, just email me, vicky at socialworksorted.com. And if this podcast episode was helpful for you and you would like me to support, I'm saying that word support again, aren't I? Even though I've said I don't like it. But if you would like more podcast episodes like this, please let me know and I will create them for you. Thank you so much for listening. I hope this has been helpful. If it has, please share it with another student or newly qualified social worker. Please share it on social media, share it with your peers. And if you have time, I think it takes a couple of seconds, please leave a rating. It makes a huge difference. I'd encourage you now to slow down with me for a couple of seconds. Take a deep breath if it feels okay for you. Roll your shoulders back and down. And just enjoy a tiny pause in your day. Remember, you can come back to this episode, listen to it as many times as you need to support you with your assessments. Thank you so much for listening, for your support in this podcast and for everything you do. Take care.